Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm doing well. I guess we're going to have some new facilities. Did I hear this correctly? Football Operations Center coming into focus. We'll talk on that. Football team coming into focus. I thought it was a pretty positive spring game. Offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham is going to join us a little bit later on, as well as our Osceola insider. So things trending up, Keith. I just have two questions. Number one, do you really need two locker rooms? We've seen what that does in other places. And number two, I guess you're going to have to walk across the parking lot to eat because I didn't see a dining room in the new facility. Did I miss something? Do you have to be negative Nelly right out of the gate? Well, I'm lazy. So since we're going there, Florida State announced today, showed the renderings of uh, the football operations building, which has been talked about for a couple of years and what it'll look like and that sort of thing. I, here's what I noticed, Keith. See, I'm going to go the other way on this. I looked at the square footage, and I immediately Googled the square footage of the Clemson football ops building and the University of Florida football ops building. And would you care to guess who has the most square footage? I'm going to guess that Florida State will when it gets built. You are correct. Florida State's touted as 150,000 square feet, and Clemson's is closer to 140, and same with the University of Florida. See, that's how you shift the glass to half full, KJ, just like that, on a dime. Well, that's why you have a role to play, as do I. By the way, a third question. Are they taking up part of the practice fields, too? It would appear, looking at the renderings, that they're going to lose half a practice field to make it work. So this building is L-shaped, if you will, and it will be adjacent to the Al Dunlap indoor practice facility so that one side will then run parallel to stadium drive there, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it will turn and in effect, it'll be parallel to the athletic center there or the parking lot in front of the Bobby Bowden statue. So it, it looks like that they're going to lose about half a practice field to do it. They'll still have a full field. They'll still have an indoor field. Uh, I will suggest that Keith and I, are recording about five minutes after this release came out. So we've not done a lot of due diligence on all those specifics. Agreed. Uh, and by the way, I think it's a wonderful project. I think it coupled with, if it can be pulled off, the uh, design changes to the stadium uh, will really position Florida State well three or four years from now. I do, as an old timer, hate the fact that we're in an arms race, but that's the reality of what we're in. 
and certainly uh, under uh, uh, Michael Alford's uh, direction started by Andy Miller and his folks prior, um, you know, the boosters have really stepped up and it'll be representative uh, and that'll be reflected in the facilities. So as to what's in it, Keith, they'll have new segment rooms over there. They'll have a walkthrough meeting area. So that means in effect, you get another, well, I guess it's, it's walkthroughs, but a mini IPF, right? That's, uh, that, that would be known as the mat drill room when the time comes. In my yeah, well, think of a hotel ballroom. You know, there's times when teams have done walkthroughs in hotel ballrooms. Exactly. A new locker room, to your point, uh, recruiting lounge, the offices for the football coaches, private event space, a new weight room, team meeting rooms, player development areas, nutrition and fueling stations. And I think what it means, though, Keith, to your original question is that it will allow them to uh, expand what's known as the FIG, the dining facility in the right. more athletic center. And candidly, when you move football out, it allows them to rededicate that space for all of the athletics. There's a log jam to get into the weight room right now with teams, you know, maneuvering all over all hours of the day. So they're not on top of one another. So it'll relieve some of that congestion. They can build out more academic space. I will say to go back when this conversation first started, and I don't know that this would qualify me as half empty, Keith, but I was of the opinion from the start, and we've talked about this using this analogy, that if you have beachfront property, which the football program currently does, and that they overlook the field at Doe Campbell Stadium, would you rather stay there? And maybe it's not quite as nice, new and shiny, but it's still the premier location. Or do you want to move a block off the beach and get a new house that maybe it's got a few more bells and whistles, but you know what? You can't see the beach. But I think the reality using that, Keith, is it, it was going to be too cost prohibitive to really retrofit the exist, existing Moore Center to the degree that they needed to. And so it really wasn't a viable option. And, and additionally, uh, and though this would be a short term problem, but for a two or three or a four year period, if in fact they go forward with the stadium renovations, you would have a displaced football program. They would have to bring in portable structures. It, it would not be, it would not be a pretty sight to see that going on. And I'm sure that also, to a much lesser degree, but that also played into part of the decision uh, because that would have been very, very uh, chaotic for a period of time with all that construction going on and mis, you know, moving everybody out. Michael Alford, the CEO of Seminole Boosters, was on our show a couple of weeks ago. And I don't recall if we dove into this, but I know I've heard him speak. I think at that time we were talking more about the ticket priority and some of the other issues that he was presenting before the university board, including the stadium enhancements you're talking about. But I've heard him speak. And the idea of this, this new operations center is that, uh, for lack of a better term, it'll stand the test of time. Now, that's all relative because 30 years from now it may not. But the idea, you know, when you as soon as you open the doors on these things, a month later, somebody comes along and builds something that's newer and more impressive. And so I don't I don't know that they're into the game of trying to keep up with the Joneses in terms of water slides and gold plated fixtures in the hot tub so much as the functional use and the practicality of what this facility will do, because at the end of the day, it's going to be at Florida State and it's going to be more than adequate. And that's a poor way to describe it. It's going to be excellent and, and, a, and a positive step for FSU. And I agree. And again, based on what we've seen initially without having a chance to digest it, uh, they certainly are not counting the fact that there's a nap room or a slide or 
you know, a basketball goal um, or a media room where you can play laser tag or whatever the case may be. Although, although it doesn't impact you or I, but I, I guess they'll have a barber shop in there somewhere, or at least a chair where somebody can come in and cut hair, right? I'm sure they will. And Keith, I have no doubt that if you would like to step up, we could name one of the fueling stations, the Keith Jones fueling station, for example. I'm sure that those conversations could be held. If I think thought- I'd rather have the barber chair, given the fact that my hair's falling out. I don't really need one. <laughs> I'm sure that that's negotiable too. Everything, <laughs> everything has a price attached to it, Keith. No, it's good news to see that. And it comes on the heels of what I thought was a uh, a good spring game, Keith, you and I haven't chatted about it, but uh, at the end of our first segment here, and we'll talk per- predominantly about spring football and the football program in today's show. What were your takeaways from the spring game? There were, you know, the things that I mentioned last time looking in, I wanted to see the offensive line, and I would say they graded an average, uh, although that might be a big part uh, played by the defensive front, uh, particularly um, the Georgia transfer. Uh, keep your eyes on number 11. I think he's going to be pretty special. The receivers caught the ball well. Uh, the backs didn't, but the receivers did. We were worried about drops. And as importantly, I thought Mackenzie Milton showed well. Uh, obviously, uh, Travis did also. Tate struggled a little bit until the latter part of the, of the practice. But I really thought that uh, what we had heard about Mackenzie Milton was reflected in what we saw. He didn't make that many spectacular plays, but he threw the ball very well, had a couple of very nice completions downfield, moved as as advertised, uh, did not give up sacks, did not throw interceptions. In fact, threw the ball away or threw the ball in the dirt a couple of times to save down, uh, excuse me, distance. Um, so I was, I was impressed. I, I didn't expect to see anything extraordinary. I was just scared to death we'd see something bad, and I don't think we saw any bad. No, I thought it was pretty positive overall. I mean, some of the takeaways I wrote down. So clearly we have a two-headed quarterback race at this point. Uh, The young receivers made many great catches. They were inconsistent over the course of the spring, but they were very solid in the game. And it made me wonder, especially when you layer that with the fact that Ontario had a couple of drops, Keyshawn didn't really pop. Is the future going to be these young guys sooner rather than later? And that'll be continued in August in terms of, you know, where the veterans shake out, but it's a very young receiving core. Jermaine Johnson, obviously, is the best player on the defense, probably on the team. Kevin Knowles, young DB, had the pick. I thought mm-hmm. the, D was, the D was organized. Uh, in general, there weren't a bunch of mistakes offensively or defensively or penalties. I thought the tempo, particularly the offense, getting, you know, sub packages in, getting the plays in, I thought the tempo was, was midseason form. I thought Jeff Cameron and Gene Deckerhoff were a little shaky. But beyond that, I thought it was pretty positive overall. Well, you know, I've always been a bigger Andrea fan for coaching, and I am uh, all for chemistry. But, um, yeah, I think there was a little bit shaky on the play calling on that side. I would agree. Uh, I will say this, and, uh, you know, some of the questions that remain out there, Keith, and we'll talk about this. Patrick Burnham will join us in our next segment. You know, as good as Jermaine looks like he's going to be at one end, it begs the question is who's going to emerge at the other end? Because in spring practice, you got a lot of one-on-one battles going. And so he flashes, but when you get into games and teams game plan, well, guess what? There's going to be two bodies on him. And that means somebody at the other end better step up. I think there's still hope that there'll be another offensive lineman that Florida state lands in the portal to add some depth there. And, you know, this is getting nitpicky, but it's not nitpicky when you start playing closer football games, which this team will do this year. 
the place kicking needs to be more consistent. You know, when you lose games three and four scores, as Florida State's done over the last couple of years, we don't really worry about the kicking. You start getting in 2017 games, all of a sudden those missed field goals come back to bite you. You are correct. You are correct. And again, it's it's hard to be terribly focused in the spring as a specialist, whether you're a punter or a kicker. Uh, but that's going to have to rectify itself come August and, and come uh, game time. I also think this, and we'll have plenty of time over the summer to, to debate on this. I, I'll, I'll ask Pat. We'll ask Pat Burnham his thoughts. Maybe we'll start here because you always start with the quarterbacks. Clearly, that quarterback battle is going to go all through fall, and you can't declare a winner right now. And you can't even make this assumption, though I'm going to, but Mackenzie Milton from practice one to practice 14, which was the spring game. I mean, he he went this way, and I thought he had the three best throws of the spring game the other day, one to McLean, one on the touchdown pass to Robinson, and one the seam pass that he fit over the middle. I think ultimately he's going to be the starter. Now, that's not to say that Jordan – hasn't made tremendous improvement and I could be wrong on this and, and who knows the way it goes. They'll have to play it out in the fall. Milton doesn't, he has some escapability, not to the degree that Jordan Travis has, but he also has a quicker release. So if you think of, you know, if, you, if you're thinking that the offensive line is going to present some issues and you need Jordan's wheels to evade the rush, I think McKenzie's smarts and his quick release could help there. But even beyond that, and we'll see how it goes, and I think they have to they'll, – they'll make the decision based on the best quarterback. I think Jordan Travis is the most dynamic guy you have on offense, and maybe you're not better served finding a way to get him on the field wherever it is with Milton as your quarterback. We've talked a little well, about that. We'll, we'll explore that further. Uh, I would uh, only venture one thing, and it's going to sound almost, um, uh, I guess, sacrilegious, but uh, you've got to also play in the Tim Tebow effect. Because maybe Jordan don't want to play anything but a quarterback. And we've never really asked that question. Uh, I, I'm not going to ask that question. I don't want to put anybody on spot right now. But that also plays into the equation somewhere. You're right. We'll ask Pat Burnham the questions. He knows all the answers. Our Osceola insider joins us next here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We'll continue the football conversation as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to our Osceola insider and good friend, Patrick Burnham. Hey, Pat, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hope all's well. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, you came in at the tail end of our first segment there. So, of course, we moved the tough question to you. So, (laughs) as it sits right now, September 5th, Notre Dame, Pack Stadium, who's announced as the starting quarterback and comes out the first time FSU has the ball? Well, listen, it's been a heck of a battle this spring, but I kind of agree with what you said. I think we saw – listen, Florida State's got two dynamic players at quarterback. They're both a little bit different in their strengths. Uh, certainly this quarterback's battle has gone on probably a little bit longer than most people anticipated. But you referenced McKenzie's three throws that he had. He had uh, uh, Malik McClain down the sideline. 
Akeem Dent had perfect coverage. He threw it to the only spot uh, that the receiver could catch it, put it right on the money. Same thing to Brian Robinson in the end zone. Then you mentioned the throw to Burrell. We have not seen throws like that at Florida State in a while. That's nothing against Jordan Travis or any other quarterback that's uh, played at Florida State. You saw flashes of why McKenzie Milton was a Heisman finalist in 2017 and 2018. He throws guys open. He anticipates well. But certainly Jordan, uh, as you said, uh, has gotten much better as a passer, uh, looks more comfortable in the in the pocket. But the offenses are going to be a little bit different depending on who's in that game. But at the end of the day, uh, I've said it since they brought McKenzie in, I do think it will be McKenzie. But I think there will be roles for both quarterbacks and uh you know, talk about creating a game planning nightmare for a defensive coordinator, having to prepare for an offense where McKenzie's at quarterback and then a variation of that offense when Jordan's at quarterback. And to your point, uh, he is your most – Jordan Travis is your most dynamic returning player on offense. you got to figure out a way to get the ball in his hands. Pat, we talk about this all the time, that you can add a player to a segment room – and if the personalities don't jive, it brings the entire segment down. But if the personalities do get along and you couple that with great on-the-field performance, you know, rising water, all boats go up. Uh, talk about the intangible that McKenzie brings, not just on the field, but in that training room, in that segment room. Uh, I mean, everybody got better. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, the guy comes in as a proven talent. He's going to have – respect for what he's done as a player at UCF, but then the respect these guys have for him from coming back from that horrific injury. You know, I talked to one of his former coaches at UCF last night and, you know, I was talking about some of the on the field things and he goes, well, what you guys are not talking about in Tallahassee are the intangibles that you mentioned. And he said, you will not, he said, unless you're around McKenzie, you cannot understand the it factor he has and the way his teammates gravitate towards him. And that's exactly, and, you know, I've watched the body language between he and the other quarterbacks and, you know, they're smiling, they're talking, they're all the time communicating. Uh, and I said this when they, if, I said when they brought him in that even if he doesn't start, what he's going to do for this team because of what he's been through and because of his experience as a college football and the success he's had is going to benefit the entire roster. Well, Pat, you can look at it right now, I, and we've commented. I mean, when committing when he did to FSU, I feel like really created the momentum at the end of the early signing period that's carried over now in terms of recruiting. And then in the quarterback room, yeah, what you just talked about, he's already elevated Jordan's play, which is not to say that Jordan isn't self-motivated and wasn't going to work hard, but all of a sudden, if you got somebody else there that's uh, you know neck and neck with you, it forces you to dig a little deeper and work harder. So, I mean, I think it's already been a win even if it works out that Jordan's the starter all year and McKenzie doesn't play. Now, I personally don't see it shaping up that way, but, I mean, I, there's already been so much positive just from him being here. No, and listen, and, and I, as we talked about on our Osceola podcast yesterday, to say something positive about McKenzie is not saying something nor, uh, negative about Jordan. They Listen, you've got two warriors at quarterback. We saw that Jordan Travis was the heartbeat of this team a year ago, and McKenzie Milton has been the same thing for the teams that he is uh, has played for at UCF. So you've, you have a position of strength now at quarterback at Florida State as opposed to maybe one that wasn't a strength for this team the last several years. Pat, I know you've been asked this question. I'll repeat it. Your uh, answer's probably rehearsed, but what did you see that you like? What, what really jumped out at you during the game? Well, you know, obviously uh, the ability of the receivers that, you know, there's some questions about the consistency and the playmaking ability of the receivers 
you saw Malik McClain continue to get better through spring. You saw Byron, Brian Robinson, same thing. And then, of course, Josh Burrell had the catch over the middle and Ontario Wilson. But the, probably the thing that I took away from the spring game is that second scrimmage, the defense absolutely throttled the offense uh, in the second scrimmage of the spring. And so we went back out to practice on Monday and they were in that next Monday and they were in shells. And the offense looked much better in the team period. But, you know, Keith, how it is, you see them in shells, you're like, all right, well, maybe they look better because they were in shells. And what they confirmed in the spring game is the longer the spring went, the more the gap between the offense and defense it got smaller. And that's what you want to see. The defense should start out spring a little bit ahead of the offense, but certainly was encouraged uh, by the fact that the first team offense came out and scored on four consecutive series, regardless of who was at quarterback, either Jordan or McKenzie. So, um, Obviously, that was impressive, the amount of pressure the defense was able to get. And then, uh, Keith, and I, this is in your wheelhouse, I thought even though McKenzie and uh, Jordan were very efficient against the defense, I thought the defensive backfield looked better. The coverage was tighter. You go back to the three throws by McKenzie, two of those three uh, three throws, they had perfect coverage, in my opinion, uh, based on what I saw. But, uh, you know, I, I was impressed by the fact that Kevin Knowles looked uh, does not look like an early enrollee at the nickel corner. Uh, Jamie Robinson is certainly an upgrade at uh, the what they're the, uh, at the other at the start uh, starting nickel corner. Sidney Williams is battling Travis Jay at one of the safeties. So uh, I was impressed with what I saw from the defensive backfield. I was impressed also with their tackling, uh, the defensive backfield's tackling. They didn't have that many opportunities, but I don't remember anybody whiffing. No, I, I agree. Uh, you saw Jamie Robinson come up with some solid hits. You saw Kevin Knowles do the same thing. And uh, But, yeah, certainly I uh, walked away a lot more encouraged uh, about what I saw leaving the spring game more so than I came into the stadium with. And, listen, I think you can't go – this team will benefit from a full winter offseason, a full spring practice period, and a full summer offseason. And player development should be substantially greater than it was a year ago. And this team should be closer knit because of going through these experiences together in the second year with Coach Norvell, which is something they did not get a chance to take advantage of last summer and spring. Okay, Pat, you're the expert on this. The rest of us just, uh, you know, we follow the football. We're not watching the guys in the trenches like you are. So what did you see from the OL? Well, you know, first of all, you're without uh, – in the spring game, you were without four of your top ten players, right? Devontae Love-Taylor is your best offensive lineman, has not participated all spring. Uh, Brady Scott was out. Uh, Thomas Schrader, who was looking very impressive early in the spring, missed most uh, – about 75% of the spring. You know, I think he was a guy that was going to, uh, you know, push for playing time either at center or guard. Uh, you know, he was going to allow them to do something. So you, you have not seen the entire first team unit yet. Uh, you know, they did look pretty good against the run. Uh, obviously, in the spring game, they were credited with giving up 11 sacks. Now, it's not always on the offensive line. And there's probably not been five guys that have worked together more than a couple of practices. Uh, so you would think that would get better. But certainly, uh, you know, you, you would hope that they would have gotten a little bit better in pass protection. But they're still struggling there. But, again, uh, you don't have your full complement of players. And there's no five. Probably uh, they've been shuffling around all spring. So when they become more of a co cohesive unit and identify the top five to seven guys uh, like Alex Atkins and Mike Norvell want to do, I think you'll see improvement uh, – through the summer and in the fall camp. Pat, I like the offensive tempo. I didn't see any pre-snap penalties. They were getting packages in and out. The plays were getting off. 
Uh, I Tate struggled a little bit and, and got the wrath of Norvell a couple of <laughs> times. But overall, you know, I was impressed with just the organization and the efficiency. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to uh, the spring, I mean, listen, they've had, uh, you know, they didn't look as efficient early in the spring as they do now. And I think you can't, uh, as Mark Salva and I were talking about yesterday, I don't think you can uh, discount what these 15 days mean. And certainly it looks like a program uh, that is advancing in year two. Pat, we talked about the receivers in the first segment a little bit, and obviously the young receivers were inconsistent during the spring, but they clearly looked like the future on Saturday. Do you think it's, and especially when you couple it with Ontario not having a great game, Keyshawn didn't do a whole lot. I mean, do you think that the young receivers are here to stay and move into the front of the pack when the fall rolls around? Well, I think uh, Malik McLean and Josh Burrell certainly announced themselves in that spring game. I mean, we've seen flashes of that all spring where they'd have a great play, then they followed it with the drop, and you certainly need more consistency from the receivers. And, you know, we've heard Mike talk about the fact that uh, Destin Hills, you know, obviously the guy they feel highly of. He has mentioned uh, the addition of Destin several times uh, during the course of spring practice. And, of course, you've got Andrew Parchment, who was one of the Big 12's best receivers two seasons ago coming in. So I think there's still going to be some competition uh, at the receiver position heading into camp. But, I, listen, you got to be very impressed with Malik McLean and Josh Burrell. On the recruiting front, Pat, let's go back. Well, first of all, I think you had a chance to pen an article about uh, uh, the kid who committed last week, the running back from uh, the state of Georgia. Yeah, Rodney Hill committed to Florida State. He was their eighth commitment. Now, I believe they lost the receiver. I, I have not gotten into it yet, but I believe they had a the receiver from Arkansas decommitted last night. Uh, but certainly Rodney Hill uh, is a versatile running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he's a track guy. He runs 11 to 11, uh, 100 meters. Uh, but they got they, – he committed – at the spring game, uh, looks to be a guy that can fit into Mike Norville's offense, uh, which is what he likes to do with the running backs is obviously hand them the ball, but also give them the ball in the receiving game, whether they're uh, running routes out of the backfield or lining up uh, in the slot. But he's certainly a kid that uh, I know Charles Fishbein, our recruiting analyst, is very high on, and uh, he looks he looks like he's a great addition to the class. Pat, we appreciate your insight as always. Uh, Coach Kenny Dillingham is going to join us here next segment, and so I want to roll in there. But uh, good analysis as always, and I know people can subscribe to the Osceola for more. Stay well, okay? Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great one. All right, Thanks, you too. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you, and we'll keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open as uh, it's a revolving door today, but we're really pleased to have offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham join us from Florida State. Coach, uh, appreciate your time, and I, I know you met with the media yesterday, but as you've digested and walked away from the, you know, the, the spring game on Saturday, from an offensive standpoint, what, what has you feeling the best? You know, what, was your, what were your, your key couple takeaways as you finished spring practice? I feel like we got a better understanding of the offense. You know, we got to really teach these guys 
more of the why. Now, does that mean we're perfect? By no means are we even close to perfect, but are we better than we were? Yes, right? And our kids have a better understanding of why we're doing things, uh, when we're going to do things, and then how we're going to do them. And uh, that was one thing that, you know, we lacked last year at times, just the how, the, the fundamental piece of the game. And I think our guys are, are slowly starting to learn how to accomplish a task with the look being different. And that's the, that's the greatest challenge in football is when something's not exactly um, what you prepared for, right? Do those kids have a good enough knowledge base to react to the situation and know what the goal of the play is or how to still get the job done. And I think we're getting better in that, in that regard. Coach, the focus is always on the QBs. Uh, it's been that way for all time, I think. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and in coaching, you always want competition at every position, but boy, you've, you've got some competition for quarterback and, and just talk about their development. Yeah, I mean, I, I like our quarterback room right now. I mean, I think all the guys have done a, a really nice job. I mean, I think as a whole, as a group, I think they've, they've really bought in to the, to the mantra of kind of helping each other and pushing each other. You know, I've been a part of, you know, places where you, you don't always have guys who, who truly want others to succeed. And I think our room right now is truly rooting for everybody to just be the very best they can be. And the progress we've made just in terms of understanding football, uh, in my opinion, is, is, is pretty impressive from the likes of, you know, the Chubbas and the Tates who, you know, came in as freshmen last year, but, and were thrown into the wolves a little bit. And those guys really got to sit in there and, and really just talk football and defensive football, not offensive football. Uh, and you could see that, that the progress they made. Then you have the, the older guys like McKenzie and Jordan McKenzie with a bunch of reps just in his career. And then Jordan being able to watch him and say, man, I never thought I could throw that dig before the hash. I don't know how you could possibly get it there. And then McKenzie would throw it. And then Jordan would take that. And he'd say, okay, I have to move my eyes that much quicker. It is possible. Coach is telling me something that's possible. It's not just coach talk. Right. And then he would go apply it. So I think, how we got better, we got better because we truly believed in, in each other and, and pushing each other to be the very best. And they'd watch every single rep the other people were taking, and they would say, good throw, good decision, bad decision, right? And, you know, secretly as a coach, I'm saying, well, I just stole a rep from you because you were paying attention. Even though you were motivating your teammate, you got better. And uh, I think that was the biggest takeaway was just the, the overall unit and the joy they had for one another. Well, that speaks to a point that you've made throughout the spring, just about elevating the quarterback room in general when McKenzie arrived, uh, if Jordan's picking those things up. And going back to your earlier point about understanding defensive concepts and how to react when something you know goes awry, I, I thought it was pretty evident that McKenzie Milton, if a play blew up the other day, and I think one did early, might have even been his first series. I mean, he just buried the football at the foot of the intended receiver and lived to, to fight another play. No question. I mean, he's a sne- – don't let him fool you. He's a sneaky athlete now. He can uh, – he can he's, – he's, qu- he's quick as all get out, and uh, he can go extend plays, make pro- plays. He has a knack uh, for knowing when to make plays, um, knowing when to tuck the ball down, and, and those are instinctual movements 
that I, I wish I could say uh, we coached, but <laughs> he, he showed up like that, and I'm glad he did. Kenny, I haven't heard you talk about it, and, and maybe it was not an issue, but how much pre-snap change authority, if you will, did you give the guys, and, and how did they do with it if they had it? Oh, every play they have the ability to change the play. Cool. Okay. Uh, our, 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 our guys – we're teaching our guys football, what makes plays good, what makes plays bad, big picture. And our guys know issues on every play. Our guys know when we call a play, what could make this a negative play? What could be a problem here? And based off that play, they know how to get us into a play that would be successful versus this look. And, um, you know, I'd say at about we're getting us into good plays at a, at a fairly high rate. Uh, obviously when you're in spring ball, uh, there are certain looks that you don't talk to that the defense is going to do just because it's more game plan towards your defense. And there's a few times in the scrimmage and in practices that we, we do run dead plays. And that's just because we're not going to game plan our own defense. Uh, however, I think our guys are understanding football to a point where come game day, they're going to have a great grasp uh, for how to get us in a good play, regardless of what the defense does. And there'll be a few times we get got, you know, that's, that's the game. But as a whole, I think uh, they're doing a really nice job. Kenny Jordan is the returning starter. But when you look back and peel it back, I mean, how important was the spring? He didn't get a spring last year. I know he missed time in August. Once you get into the season, your game planning, and and Lord knows with COVID last year, you never had all your parts and pieces week to week. So this is really the first time he's had a month to just work on himself getting better. And really, I know it's been the whole off season. So where did you see, how much of that improvement did you see just from him getting to focus on being a quarterback? Oh, I mean, this is, this is year one. And you just said everything perfectly. I mean, this is year one for him. I mean, yeah, we've got to teach him the offense, right. But we haven't really got to, to teach him football. And that's the biggest, the biggest difference in our system as opposed to other systems is we have a lot of answers and we give our quarterback a lot of flexibility so you may know the answers however you don't know the question because you don't understand what the defense is doing yet and I feel like there were times last year where we were playing the game where we knew the answer but we couldn't figure out what what the question was because we didn't know what the defense was doing and just getting behind there and getting reps and being able to talk football for you know, a month or, you know, 15 or really like 25 days and just teach, okay, this is the question to the test. This is the question. Uh, this is the defensive look you're getting, right? What is your answer? We're getting to the point where we understand the question and the system is what takes care of the answer. So I'm, I'm very pleased with, with his progression. He needed it. Uh, and I think, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a, a drastic improvement and calmness and just how he, how he approaches the game, you know, because he's starting to understand and combine that with, you know, the consistency and his footwork that we get to just focus on the fundamentals. Those are two critical things for him. And another thing that at least the, the chatter is about is obviously your offensive line. You didn't have all your parts, uh, but just talk about their development and then what they showed on Saturday and, and the pluses and the minuses. Yeah, I think anytime you have spring, you have a bunch of guys hurt. You got to kind of separate it, and you know, I think our group one guys, you know, that those those first two group, the first group out there did a really nice job, and I think they progressed really well. Um, I like the fact that 
we have versatility. You know, you have a guy like Darius who can move from tackle to guard, Babion who can move from guard to center. Uh, Devontae, when he comes back, he'll be able to play tackle and guard. Lloyd, who can come in and help us at tackle. Uh, so you've got so much versatility there. Uh, and, and there's, I mean, I could go on a list our entire line, but those are just the guys who can play multiple positions that it truly allows ourselves, Coach Atkins, to kind of play around and find the best five. Because the reality is people get dinged up throughout a season. And the having the flexibility allows you to say, okay, we got a, a, a bum ankle at, at guard. Well, we can move our six players to tackle. So we're going to move our, our tackle in to guard. That way we can play our, our, our next best guy. So the flexibility that the, the versatility in those guys gives us allows us to be flexible. It allows us to get the best five on the field every snap. And you could see the weight gain and the strength from the offseason. Uh, and then once again, the understanding of the system, you know, we're not teaching what inside zone is in our zone steps. We're teaching how to ID a linebacker who's aligned in the backside B gap instead of the front side A gap and how that affects my first and second step. So it's, uh, I say in the quarterback room all the time, when I joke around, it's like last year we were taking like intro to football, right? This year we're taking football 101 and progressing it to 202. And uh, the longer you're in the same system, you know, hopefully we'll get to uh, a master's degree in about four to five years from now. Yeah, you need to get to the 4,000 level courses, right? Correct. I, I know the, the portal holds the answer, I guess, but do you anticipate bringing in, are you trying to bring in one more offensive lineman? I think everybody in America, including us, is looking to add an offensive lineman. That is the <laughs> one position that you can never have enough good offensive linemen so yes um but like i said i think everybody in the country is in the same boat there yeah kenny you may not agree with me and that's okay um if you had not had the saturday and sunday practice if you ended after 13 i think you'd walk away and say you know our young receivers have got some talent but but they can't catch the ball well that wasn't the case on saturday yeah they did a really i mean they they showed up I mean, I talk about all the time. I, I don't believe in necessarily guys who are just game day players. Like, <laughs> you got to practice. Like, you'll never see game day if you don't practice. So nobody will ever know. It'll be the best kept secret in the world if you're just a game day player, right? But there is something to guys who rise to the occasion. And there's something to guys that make plays in the biggest moments. And for them, that was the biggest moment they've had. Spring game in front of fans, in front of 15,000 fans. And they rose to the occasion. And um, I was just super happy to see those guys and, and the joy they had after that scrimmage, knowing that when their number was called, they made a play for a true freshman who should be getting ready for a senior prom for both those guys, you know, sacrificing that to to just love the game and want to make an impact in year one. I mean, I was fired up for them. The fact we haven't asked you about running backs, that must – be testament to the fact that we don't see many questions there. I don't know if you feel that way, but in, in looking at it, and you've used the word versatile a lot, seems like you've got a versatile, solid group there. I mean, a lot of guys with different skill sets, but 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 all talented in their own way. 100%. I mean, I think that group is, is probably the most stable and consistent that we have right now. I mean, led by uh, Corbin and just the, the demeanor and consistency he brings every day. I mean, he's kind of the heartbeat of that room. And uh, – he beats to a high standard. And I think that high standard uh, is helping that entire room elevate their level because when, when the leader of your room 
um, sets that standard and is consistent like that. Um, and then all those guys, like you said, being versatile and just kind of being a little bit different. You know, we, we've got we don't have the same guy twice back there, which usually doesn't happen. Usually you have to say, OK, we have this guy. And if he were to go down, this guy is basically the same player. We don't really have that. We've got a whole bunch of different guys that have different skill sets. Uh, which allow us to be versatile and uh, it'll be a fun challenge for us as a coaching staff to utilize all those different talents and their strengths. All right, coach fess up. You got to be transparent with us now. How excited are you going to be when you can put down that stupid game show game thing console and actually get on a plane or in a car and go see somebody and talk to them about what's great about playing at Florida State. I am very excited because the one thing with it is I, I play games with prospects because that's how a lot of those guys communicate. You know, I'll never be there playing a game versus a random person. That's I'm 30 years old. I don't play video games, but that is an opportunity for me to build a relationship in their setting, in a, in a setting where they're comfortable. Uh, and if that's what's needed for me to be able to have a, a real conversation for 45 minutes with a guy, then I think it's necessary. But at the same token with that, um, being able to get these guys in person, the one thing about me in the recruiting process is I'm going to be the same person, whether I recruit you, whether I coach you, it doesn't matter. My personality isn't changing. And, and I don't want it to change because with the transfer portal, like you mentioned earlier, these so on quote unquote elite recruiters that, you know, are their best friend and then turn into the enemy when they show up on campus, that's called transfer, right? So if you're not a genuine person nowadays, this portal is going to expose you. If your program isn't genuine, if your program isn't about the right things, this portal is going to expose you. And uh, I'm fired up. Uh, for what we're doing here, I'm fired up to meet these kids in person and and just expand on that relationship. Coach, we'll wrap up here momentarily. I'm going to bring it back to, to McKenzie real quick on the way out. Uh, you know, I, obviously he got better as the spring went on, and I'm guessing part of that was shaking some rust off. Part of that is is learning the system. Generally, when a guy has a, a, a severe injury, and I'm and, and most people aren't coming back from something as catastrophic as what he had, there's a psychological hurdle you got to get over in terms of, of trusting that knee and, and being willing to take a hit. Is that something that uh, we, we just won't know if he's crossed that bridge until literally the first game or the first time he gets hit? Or do you feel like he's, he's there? Or can you even know until that happens? He does not. No psychological hurdle for him. He's too mentally tough. He's too competitive. Um, nothing along those lines are going to hinder him. I think it's more uh, – motor functions you know when you when you hurt your knee and it's more just habitual from a standpoint of when you're rehabbing there's certain you don't push off that leg for a year maybe for a year and a half and now when you're throwing motion you're supposed to utilize and gain power from the back foot so I would say it's a lot less with with McKenzie the mental side of it he he feels great he feels ready to roll and there are no hindrance it's just the the muscle memory of getting his feet back underneath him uh, and getting his body comfortable with being able to use his legs, right? But for him, he is healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. He is ready to roll, and I'm just blessed I get to coach him because he brings a certain joy every single day and a certain presence that I'm glad I get to be around, that I'm glad other quarterbacks get to be around. I'm glad our team gets to be around. 
Coach, we appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on a great spring. We'll let you get back to video games. If you come across uh, somebody that's named Wildwood Knoll on there, that's just Keith, and you don't have to waste your time there. He, he can't help you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I appreciate you all having me. All right, Coach Kenny Thanks, Dillingham, Coach. offensive coordinator at Florida State. Keith, you notice I say these things when we're on Zoom. If we're ever back in the studio together, I have no doubt that you will still exert your uh, rightful uh, command as a former star safety for this team. I will just remind you that uh, that chair accident in the studio three or four years ago might not have been just an accident. Noted. Noted. Okay, on that note, we'll go to break, come back with more Front Row Knowles. <laughs> Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Time for Keith and I to reflect on the uh, conversations. Appreciate Kenny Dillingham. He's been, it's been a mellower version of uh, Coach Dillingham here of late, but he has to be pleased with what I saw. And I'll tell you what, Keith, I thought about this, that that last question about the psychological hurdle potentially for Mackenzie Milton. We brought it up last week. You know, when it, would, would they make him live in the fall or you just got to wait till whatever the first game is? I, I think the answer absolutely has to be the first game. Um, I would ra- agree. Ra- and, rather and, than and, risk it. And it. But it is good to hear that from his point of view, he doesn't see that as a barrier at all. Uh, I still – think it is, but instead of it being a 10, maybe it's only a two or a three. Uh, just being around, again, as I mentioned last year, uh, last week, rather, I didn't have any type of injury of that nature, certainly not anything close to what he suffered through. Uh, but I just know in talking after the fact that that is an issue. So uh, a mentally tough guy like Milton, you know, it's a one or two or three instead of a nine or a 10, but I agree with you. I think we'll see a lot of green jerseys uh, up until September uh, first ball game. We didn't ask him about uh, Chuba, but he's cleared to get back into the mix. But it really does appear that it's going to be Jordan and McKenzie at the at the top of that quarterback battle. A lot of Florida State football news. If you're just joining us, uh, FSU released renderings today of the football operations uh, center. So more to come. We can do a deeper dive on that with the folks in the know in future shows. But it's exciting times. If you just think about the last month or so, Keith, uh, while spring practice has been going on, you've had the announcement about some stadium enhancements that are coming down the road potentially. Now you have uh, the the dead periods lifted and there's camps that are going to take place. Mike Norvell announced his camps uh, in June, which means they get to have connectivity. And to your point to, to Kenny, they can go out on the road and recruit. Now you've got a football ops building. Uh more and more the vaccine is out there. We're getting back to some sense of normalcy and everything is pointing upwards right now for FSU football. And there's also, uh, and I don't recall, forgive me uh, the name, but there's also about 10 or 12 uh, visits that are planned all the way from Miami to Pensacola to be uh, putting on camps in various locations just to spread the Florida State brand and have an opportunity for the coaches to meet with some youngsters. Obviously, it is recruiting oriented, but it's not recruiting camps in the traditional sense uh, that we're used to seeing. So uh, a lot of travel and and brand buildment uh, building rather going on. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean, you know, now we get into the the long stretch 
between now and September 5th. And this is the period when everybody gets overly optimistic and all of a sudden you move the bar up like this, right, Keith? Yep. Yep. Everybody's undefeated. Everybody's going to play in the national championship game from about, uh, uh, what, uh, April 20th to August 1st. Another thing that happened this week, Keith, and you wouldn't have seen it on social media, but hopefully by now somebody has dropped a VHS copy in your mailbox and you've popped it into your VCR. But uh, Florida State made the announcement or made an announcement regarding an agreement uh, for, for a group that's going to work with student, FSU student athletes related to name image likeness and define some of those parameters. But I think candidly, much is still to be defined on that front, but Florida state is trying to be an out in front of that. You know, I, I never really processed. I was worried about what would happen if a program had money or, you know, advertisers or folks looking for marketing help had money. And therefore they would use that to tell a recruit, well, if you come here, we can guarantee you X or suggest Y. I didn't really process the fact that you could use the education of what to do with that as a recruiting tool. And I think, I think that's a very good move. I still am skeptical. I still have my, um, you know, worries relative to that whole thing. Uh, but I am the curmudgeon, so I'm supposed to. But in promoting it as an educational service, just like you promote the academic support and the nutrition and the strength and training that you'll receive if your youngster comes to a given institution, I think positions Florida State very well. won't last long. More people will be doing it in two, three, five years from now. Everybody will be doing it well. But certainly Florida State's getting in the lead on it. Yeah, Apex is the company they've partnered with. And yeah, I've already, I think Baylor hired somebody to come in that's from the brand marketing world that's going to work with their student athletes. I think it was Baylor. So you're, you're going to see more and more in this. This is just the way it's, it's headed. And we still haven't done a full length show, a deep dive on NIL, Keith, even though we've talked about it. I think it's because it still feels like it's a blank canvas and people are throwing ink against it and we don't really know what it looks like still. You know, you hate to use analogies incorrectly, and forgive me, listeners, if this is not a good one, but it's just like when we said pandemic. What's a pandemic, and what do we do with it? Obviously, now that we're into it, we look back, we know things we did well, things we did poorly. That's a scale of 1 to 10, a 10. Obviously, an IAL is a 1 in terms of overall importance, but you're exactly right. It's it's territory that hasn't been plowed before and you know we we don't know what we don't know we don't even know what we don't know <laughs> we don't know what we do know but that's no different than week to week on this show <laughs> I, I, I hate to turn it this way uh but unfortunately there was a baseball game last night that didn't end well for florida state now i will say that fsu's had great non-conference success this year and i'm confident they're going to get back on track but sitting at 16 and 13 right now there's some work to be done for Mike Martin Jr.'s team. There is. Uh, and we talk on the football side and several years ago on the basketball side about lessons that can be taught and lessons that have to be learned. And uh, obviously this program with coach, uh, with me being the, the coach last year and it being abbreviated, you know, this is really the first season and implementing the, the things both uh, on the field and off the field that uh, Junior wants to do. 
uh, is proving, uh, you know, to be difficult. Let's remember uh, the ACC has gotten better too. Uh, and, and, you know, you're playing in Florida, you're playing a, a top 10, a top five team in most everybody's book. And you went no to nose with them through nine innings. And it took a, it took a walk off, although technically not a walk off. We'll hold that discussion for another time, but a home run in the 10th inning to beat you. Uh, it's disappointing, but, uh, there's been times when, uh, if you had been playing softball, it had been run ruled against the Gators. So uh, I consider that a, a move forward. Keith, are we going to have to go over the definition of walk-off again? No, because mine's right and yours is wrong. <laughs> You're talking about the psychological bear. There, I agree with your premise. If Florida's losing 2-1 and then they hit a two-run homer, from a mental standpoint, that's tougher than if you're tied 2-2 and there's not as much pressure. But what did both teams do after the ball left the yard as it relates to the field? Did they remain on it? Did they walk off it? No, Florida ran off it. <laughs> you you can take the guy out of Wildwood, but you can't take the Wildwood out of the guy. Ain't That's happening. What I mean. Ain't happening. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing from Mr. Keith Jones. Oh, we got a couple minutes more. Anything else you wanna you wanna wrap up on? I mean, uh, again, the top story of the day: the football renderings, but spring practice in general, pretty positive. Uh, oh, I know what we haven't talked about. Something I saw, something that happened that I didn't really see coming was Balsha leaving. I was just going to say, we didn't talk about Balsha. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not in that loop uh, in terms of what the upside is. I know you can't coach height, and there are not that many seven-footers out there. Uh, but I really didn't process that he might leave early. And, and the thing that also kind of caught me off guard is I'm not sure – I'm not sure the – advice that he's gotten, or let me rephrase. I think he understands that he may not be an NBA prospect and that he's leaving to go play overseas um, because he'll fit in real well there. You just don't normally process it like that. But then again, he's an international player. He can get back closer to home, blah, blah, blah. I just hate to see him leave. I, I think he was a great addition to this club. I think he continued to have some upside. And I just didn't process that that might be a possibility. So my bad there. Yeah. So Scotty Barnes, nobody's surprised. He moved on. We were we were optimistic that maybe Raekwon would come back. Maybe Balsh would come back. They're all gone. Has Has MJ said anything yet? Haven't heard anything. If he has, but that doesn't mean that. Uh, and I'm plugged in everywhere. They still have a, a an unbelievable class coming in. I, I think it's this, Keith. The reality is, we can't have it both ways. We want Leonard to recruit the way he's recruiting. But if you recruit the way Leonard's recruiting, you're not going to have four-year players anymore. And we can debate whether Balsh is going to go in the draft or not. We can't debate that whatever he's going to make next year is more than he was going to make at FSU. You know That and, is correct. And, and it might not be a guaranteed multi-million dollar contract with an NBA team, but it might be several hundred thousand dollars with a European league team, which is more than he's making wearing the FSU uniform. And he could still come back to the NBA. Yeah. Back to your, uh, you made the comment earlier. It may not be a fair comparison, but you know, there was a period of time when uh, the Florida state baseball team went after some very, very, very elite baseball players and lost them to the draft before they even set foot. And so your recruiting class went from eight to four and you didn't do anything wrong. And um, you, you're right. You just can't have it both ways. If you're going to go after the Scotty Barnes of the world, they're not going to stick around for four years. Yeah, Balsha is a little surprising because 
you know, if he grew grows as much in this next year as he did from last year to this year, I mean, the thought of what he could do is is tremendous. But uh, you know, Leonard and Stan and company they provide good counsel, and he's got to make his decision. And they still have key parts and pieces back, just not the ones or all of them that we thought were coming back. I mean, I, you know, you're going to have Polite and Malik Osborne as as two of the anchors, I guess, along with. Uh, the kid transferred in from Houston, who's a veteran and, and the very talented freshmen that are coming in. We're just going to have to learn some new names. Uh, and that is kind of the, the way it is. Uh, in uh, when you're playing in the top 10, top 20 in college basketball these days, um, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about, and, and I haven't heard officially, but the rumor is uh, that they will permanently uh, continue the one year transfer rule where you can transfer, excuse me, one time transfer rule where you can transfer and not have to sit out. Uh, I'm just continuing to watch and worry about folks that go into the transfer portal and then don't come out because I read somewhere there's approximately 1,500 kids in the basketball portal right now. Now, that's spread over about 300 schools or 400 schools, but that's still three or four kids per school. That concerns me. Yeah. And uh, I, I made this reference before, Keith, you'd hope it would balance out is that people see that the grass isn't always greener. But then every year when you look at the number of players that declare early for the NFL draft and go undrafted, that number goes up every year. It's not like it's regressed to any sort of mean. So, uh, you know, maybe the portal will stay the same way, unfortunately, uh, in terms of lost opportunities for guys who think they're going to get a, land in a better place and they land in a worse one. And it's a two-edged sword. You want to recruit guys, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, softball, you know, volleyball, guys and gals. You want to recruit people that would love to play professionally and extend their career. You, you want them to have that mentality. Um, but when every one of them has that mentality, you know, there's just so many spaces available. And it becomes something that uh, coaches – it's not new. They've been dealing with it for years. It's just there's more folks involved and an easier way of doing it. Exactly right. Keith, we are out of time. Good show. Good to catch up. Always. All righty. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Control.